Second Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to commence reading in verse 13 of Luke chapter 1, down to verse 25. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And, John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple, and when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the book of Luke. And we thank you, Father, for this chapter. And we ask tonight that, Lord, as we open up your word, that uh, you would meet with us in your word. Lord, we thank you for how great you are. We thank you that you are such a wonderful God and that you gave us your word to be an instruction to us, to reveal to us, Father God, your character and your will. And Father, tonight, as we look into your word, may we see you in it. May you direct us through it. May you challenge us by it. And may, Father God, we leave tonight rejoicing in the knowledge that we've been in your presence. As always, Lord, I ask that you'd guide me, you'd help me and use me tonight. May I speak with uh, uh, the words only that you would have me to speak. And may uh, I be used of you this night to your glory. Bless our time now, we pray in your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a few people today seem to realize that the Christmas story properly begins with an oldest, older Jewish priest and his equally elderly wife. At the very least, the story begins to intensify with this elderly couple. As the story unfolds, we learn that the possibility of Elizabeth would ever, have, would ever be a mother had grown remote and even somewhat remote beyond remote. The couple appeared to have accepted that no child would ever grace their home, that they would never be parents in the normal course of things. But as we've seen, God then intervened. God took control. And that's where Luke begins his account of the ministry of Jesus, 
the Messiah by telling the readers about Zacharias, Elizabeth, and of course, John the Baptist. When we read the account of, uh, in Luke chapter 1 of Zacharias and Elizabeth, what strikes us is that there's nothing particularly special about this couple, about Zacharias and Elizabeth, except that they're old and that they're from a priestly family. But there's nothing particularly outstanding about this couple. Not like many in Israel were praying and waiting for the coming of Messiah. But that wasn't unique in Israel. Many were praying that prayer. Many were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And for most of us, John would appear as that weird man who was known for the fact that he avoided civilized society, choosing to live in the Judean wilderness. John's dress certainly wouldn't be considered fashionable even in the dusty streets of some small Judean village. And if John the Baptist was in, to invite you and I to share a meal with him, not many of us would be eager to join John in a meal of grasshoppers and honey. I mean, let's face it, when you consider Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, there's nothing particularly special about particularly Zacharias, Elizabeth. And John didn't fit in with the social elite of the day. But when God sent the angel Gabriel to Zacharias to the temple that day, all that was about to change. Because now this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, would play an important part in God's unfolding plan of redemption. It's for that reason that when, God considered, when we consider the account of God choosing to end the 400 years of silence and darkness with the greatest love story ever known, that our attention is drawn Firstly, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we've said that there are at least four facts involved in the call of these two that when properly understood will lead you and I to a proper response to the call of God in our lives. We've considered so far the first three of these four facts. We've noted that when God intervenes in our lives, He chooses the time. He chooses the people and He chooses the method. And now, lastly, as we look at these four facts, lastly tonight, note with me that God, when God intervenes in our lives, He chooses the purpose here in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. You know, why did God intervene in the life of Zacharias in the way that He did? Why did He send the angel Gabriel to announce that his wife was going to get pregnant? And was it simply to tell him he was going to be a dad? Well, the answer, of course, is no. We know that. There's more to it than that. And the truth is that when, Zachari when the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias that day in the temple, God had a purpose that was bigger than Zacharias, that was bigger than Elizabeth, that was bigger than this couple. God had a purpose and a plan that was bigger than anything that they could even envisage. And to understand that purpose, we must take another look at the angel's message in verses 13 to 17. We touched on it last time, if you remember, but we need to have another look at it because it's in these verses, in the angel's message, that we have revealed to us God's purpose for intervening in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth in the way that he did on that day. In these verses, the angel basically said to them, you're going to have a son. This is what you'll name him. This is how you'll raise him. Because this is what he's going to do. You're going to have a son. This is what you'll name him. This is how you'll raise him. Because this is what he's going to do. 
I remember for years, this godly couple had prayed to God for a son. And now God chooses to intervene in their lives. He chooses to answer this prayer when they're old. But God didn't just answer their prayer. He was actually answering the prayer of a nation. Not just the prayer of a couple of elderly people, a priest and his wife as he, as he served the temple. God was not just answering the prayer of this couple, but God was answering the prayer of, of a nation. He was answering the prayer of the world. Because of the announcement of John, the birth of John the Baptist, God reveals his purpose. And we need to realize that God never intervenes in our lives without a purpose and without a plan. When God decides to choose us, to use us, God always has a purpose. God always has a plan. When God intervenes in our lives and changes our life, it's always because he has a purpose and a plan. And that was true with the announcement of the angel. One commentator said this, when God showed up that day, there's no telling what Zacharias might have thought was going on, but he found out quickly that it was greater than he could have imagined. You know, Zacharias could not have known that day when he went up to the temple to offer up the incense on the altar of incense before the Holy of Holies. He could not have known God's purpose. Beyond the fact that he had a duty to perform, beyond the fact that he is a priest who is now given this great privilege by lot of offering up the, on the altar of incense, the incense before the Holy of Holies. He could not have known beyond his responsibility God's purpose. But God had a purpose for coming in such a spectacular way. The Lord was about to change the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth forever. And indeed, he was now beginning to unfold his plan for changing the lives of many forever. Because this is going to culminate with the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, he told Zacharias that his family would have a special part in spreading the good news of the coming of Messiah, to spread the good news of the Savior, to spread the good news of the gospel. His family was going to have an important role in that event. A message that would bring salvation to many. Now look what Gabriel says in verses 13 and 14. Because here Gabriel informs Zacharias and Elizabeth that they will have a delightful boy to love and enjoy. Verse 13, And the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness. They're going to have a, a son that's going to bring joy and gladness to them. Matthew Henry said he was, he shall be a welcome child. This son is going to bring joy and gladness to this elderly couple. They're going to have a great time with John as their son. But in addition to bringing joy and gladness to this couple... He will be a blessing to many because the end of verse 14 says, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Now why? why? Why are people going to rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist? What's the reason why he would be a blessing to many? Well, verse 15a explains that to us because it says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. 
The reason why he's going to be such a blessing and going to bring rejoicing upon many is because of who he is. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. The reason for the rejoicing was that this son shall be distinguished favor of heaven, one commentator said. A distinguished favorite of heaven. And that's the only kind of greatness that really matters, isn't it? He's going to be great because he's chosen of God for a task that is going to be vitally important in preparing the nation of Israel for the coming of Messiah. Matthew Henry said this, Those who are great indeed that are so in God's sight, not those who are so in the eye of vain and carnal world. And that's certainly true of John. Jesus was later to say about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. This one who is going to be born of Zacharias and Elizabeth is going to be great in the eyes of God. In fact, of all those born among women, there's going to be no one greater than him. He's going to be a great prophet. God has a purpose for intervening in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth and announcing the son. He has a purpose in allowing Elizabeth to be pregnant in her old age because God has a plan for their son, John the Baptist. God had chosen John the Baptist for a special purpose. For that reason, he was to be what's known as a Nazarite, which means he was set apart to God from everything that is polluting. Set apart to God from everything that's polluting. The vow of Nazarite was voluntary vow, and they were forbidden to do three things. The three things that John the Baptist is forbidden to do. Look in verse 15 again. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Okay, he was not to drink wine or strong drink. He was not to shave his head and he was not to touch a dead body was the other thing which is not mentioned there. But uh, with regard to the, Zachar- to the Nazarite vow, they were not to touch dead bodies. In Numbers chapter 6 and verse 8 where the Nazarite vow is mentioned, it says that the Nazarite was to be all the days of his separation. He is to be holy unto the Lord. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. John the Baptist was to be separated unto the Lord and he was to be holy unto the Lord all of his days. That's why he was not to eat, uh, not to drink strong drink, nor was he to have any wine, nor was he to, as the other thing says, shave his head or to touch a dead body. He was to be pure, free from all impurity all the days of his life. He was to be holy unto the Lord. Somebody said, just as the leper was the living symbol of sin, So the Nazarite was the living symbol of holiness. And God had chosen John to be his servant, and he was to be a living symbol of holiness as he fulfilled his purpose for God. Matthew Henry said, Those that would be eminent servants of God and employed in eminent services must learn to live a life of self-denial and mortification, must be dead to the pleasure of sense and keep their minds from everything that is darkening and disturbing to them. Now the reality is, if we're going to be like John the Baptist, used of the Lord, then we must seek to live wholly unto the Lord. That was the reason why the Lord gives this instruction about John the Baptist to Zacharias. 
John was fitted and qualified for service because God had called him to serve him. And God says, if he's going to serve me, then he needs to be set apart under holiness. And if we're going to serve the Lord, then we need to be set apart under holiness. And that was the reason for the instructions given here for John. But not only that, we notice that John was fitted and qualified for his service for the Lord because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Look in verse 15 again. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So he's, set a, he's going to be set apart for God's service. He's going to live a life of holiness because of the Nazarite vow. Not only that, but he's going to be given the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God's called him to do. You know, we like John have been fitted and qualified for service. Because the same power that's available to John is available to us as believers. You know what we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that we're not to be drunk with wine, where is excess, but we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this fulfillment, this filling of the Spirit that gives you and I the power to serve. It's the filling of the Spirit that's going to give John the Baptist the power to serve, and it's the filling of the Spirit that gives you and I the power to serve. As you and I are daily filled with the Spirit, as daily He gets more and more control of our lives, we can be effective in service for Him, just like John the Baptist. But you know, John was also going to be a distinguished preacher. This is 16 and 17. And many of the children of Israel shall be he turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was to be the instrument that God was going to use in the conversion of many souls to God. He was going to be the means by which the nation of Israel was prepared to receive and entertain the Messiah. This child that was going to be born to Zacharias and Elizabeth was to be no ordinary child. He was going to be filled with the Holy Ghost and he was going to be a great preacher because God was going to use him to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He was going to turn many hearts. It says there at the end of verse 17, it says that uh, uh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what he's going to do. It says in verse 16 that many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. John was to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But here in verse 17 he tells us he's also going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. So then he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children that is obedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready the people for the Lord. The phrase there where it says that he shall go forth of the spirit and the power of Elias doesn't suggest that somehow he was going to be Elijah. He was not Elijah. But like Elijah, John was known for his bold, uncompromising stand for the word of God. In that sense, his ministry was going to be like that ministry, like the ministry of Elijah. Elijah was known as a stern prophet of repentance who sought to bring people into right relation with God. 
And John the Baptist was going to be there in the like spirit of Elijah. He was going to be like Elijah. He was going to be in the mold of Elijah. He was going to be the stern prophet of repentance. Because what's his message going to be? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's going to be this preacher of repentance, seeking to bring people to right relationship to God. He's going to be there in the wilderness of, uh, of Judea. He's going to be there at the... Uh, the River Jordan, baptizing people, calling upon people to repent, to come unto the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, so that when Jesus Christ comes, He can say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and the hearts of men are prepared to receive the coming Savior. It was chosen by God and anointed by God to preach repentance. Change your mind about who Christ is. Change your mind about the Messiah. Change your mind about God so that you might be ready to receive the Messiah. He was to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand and prepare the way for Christ. As it says there at the end of verse, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. One commentator said he would strive to gather out of the world a company of believers who would be ready to meet the Lord when he appeared. And that's God's purpose for sending Gabriel to Zacharias at the temple that day. Gabriel came to Zacharias to announce that his wife was to have a son, not because he wanted Zacharias to know he was going to be a dad, but because he wanted Zacharias to know that the child that was going to be born out of them was going to be John the Baptist, not other than you shall call him John, who's going to be this one who prepares the way of the Lord. It wasn't just about answering a prayer of an elderly couple. But it was about answering the prayer of a nation who had been looking for 400 years for the coming of Messiah. It was to set in motion God's purpose. When God chooses to intervene, beloved, we need to remember He chooses the purpose, not us. You and I cannot guess what God's purpose is for our lives. You and I cannot dictate the purpose of God for our lives. When God chooses to unveil His purpose, when God chooses to move you and I to fulfill His purpose, it's God who chooses. He's the one who makes the decisions. You know, we have no right to say to God that He can only do this or that with our lives. Because those of us who are saved, we are His children and therefore, He has the right to determine the purpose for our lives. Therefore, as Romans 6.13 says, we are to yield ourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Being confident of this very thing, Philippians 1.6 says, that He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You and I are responsible to yield our members as righteous unto God. And then you and I need to have confidence that once we've yielded ourselves unto God, that He will fulfill His purpose in our life for His glory. We need to take our hands off the steering wheel, so to speak. And we need to let God steer the car. We need to yield our members unto God and say, Lord, here is my life. Take it, use it, and allow Him to determine the purpose, the plan that He has for us.
God's, as God's children, we really have no choice but to yield to God's will. For yielding to His will is our reasonable service. Isn't that what Romans 12 says? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the room of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I have a reasonable service, which is to do God's will. That you and I be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we might indeed determine God's will, which is good and acceptable and perfect. That we might do His purpose. Our reasonable service is up to God. You and I are not to do what we please, but you and I are to yield to God to allow Him to do what He pleases. And I can't say to God, here, God, I am going to do this, or I'm going to do that. Now bless it. Because as God's children, He has the right, He has the authority to choose the purpose of, he has a plan for our lives. And we need to let him choose that purpose and follow it. So 400 years of silence, 400 years of nothing from God, God now breaks the silence. God has now revealed his purpose to Zacharias. And the right and only response to God's call, to God's purpose is, Lord, I believe. That's it. That's all the response that's necessary to God. I believe. I will do your will. When God calls us to follow Him in obedience, no matter how much trouble we might have with it, our response should simply be, Lord, I believe. Zacharias, however, did not respond with belief. He responded with unbelief didn't believe and he was struck dumb. So notice secondly with me tonight, Zacharias' response. The angel's message now, Zacharias' response in verses 18 and 25. We read in verse 25, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Now as I said last week, you would think that the presence of an angel... And the announcement of God's word would encourage Zacharias' faith. But it didn't. Instead of looking to God by faith, getting excited now that as Gabriel makes this announcement that he's about to have a son, instead of getting excited, instead of looking at what God's word has just said about his son, how his son is going to be the voice crying in the wilderness, he's going to be the one that the prophets of old have predicted the prophets of old that he has read, that he knows and probably understands better than anybody, the angel Gabriel has just explained to him that he's about to have that son, and that son is not only going to be an answer to his prayer and Elizabeth's prayer, but he's going to be the answer to a nation's prayer. Instead of looking to God in faith, he looked at himself, he looked at his wife, and decided the birth of a son was impossible. And he wanted some assurance. Whereby shall I know this? He wanted some assurance beyond the plain word of Gabriel, God's messenger. Perhaps he even wanted a sign from God. This, of course, was unbelief. 
Because Zacharias was really questioning God's ability to fulfill his word. He was questioning God's purpose here. And he was questioning God's plan for his intervention. As a result of this unbelief, he was struck dumb. Look in verse 19. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, but stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings, and behold, thou shalt be dumb. Not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. He's going to be struck dumb. Because Zacharias couldn't see beyond the age of himself and the age of his wife, and couldn't see that the presence of Gabriel, who speaks on behalf of God, declaring God's word, because he couldn't see that, but only the age of him and his wife, he struck dumb. Somebody said, faith is blessed, but unbelief is judged. And Zacharias was struck dumb until the word was fulfilled. Zacharias simply did not believe, and therefore he could not speak. When he left the temple that day, he was unable to give the priestly benediction because as he's in this week of ministry, as he leaves the temple to go about his business for the night, he was supposed to give the priestly benediction, but he couldn't give the priestly benediction. He even couldn't tell them what he had seen. Look at verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias. All the people are praying outside the temple, are waiting for him to come out. And they marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. They couldn't believe he was spending so much time in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. He couldn't give the priestly benediction. He couldn't tell them what he'd seen. He couldn't speak. Now think about this. He'd asked for a sign. Remember? He says, whereby shall I know this? He'd asked for a sign. And you know, God had given him a very personal sign, hadn't he? A sign that would live with him for the next nine months or so. He was struck dumb. I guess we've got to be careful what we ask God, don't we? Occasionally. You know, when Zacharias said to the angel, whereby shall I know this? I don't think he expected for the next nine months he was not going to be able to talk. And I thought about this, you know, God has a funny way of reminding us of who's in control, doesn't he? You know, Zacharias may not have very, thought it very funny at the time. He probably was not very impressed with what had just happened to him uh, at the time. But looking back on that period of nine months or so, he probably occasionally had a good laugh with Elizabeth over what happened, over his lack of faith. As they were raising John the Baptist, I'm sure that they occasionally had a smile about how Zacharias had asked for a sign, standing in the presence of an angel, and the sign he got was very personal. He was struck dumb. He was presented with an awesome array of God's power in the presence of an angel who was none other than Gabriel. He still looked at what was being presented as being silly and impossible. As a result of his unbelief, 
struck dumb for almost a year. But you know, the wonderful news of this story is this. That even though Zacharias does not believe, God had chosen Zacharias and Elizabeth for a purpose. And even though Zacharias now has to live with the consequence of his unbelief, God uses him anyway. I don't know about you, but in the Word of God, I always get amazed, though, that, you know, God still loves his people even when his people do some dumb things. And God uses Zacharias and Elizabeth despite the fact that he did not believe a word of what Gabriel told him and for that he was struck dumb. God still uses it. Because look in verse 57 of this chapter. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son just as God promised. The promise was fulfilled. Now think about it, you know, Zacharias must have had a difficult time completing his week of ministry. Because remember, he's at the temple. He's drawn my lot to go up to the temple and, and offer up this incense at the altar of incense prior to, before the holy place. But he's got a week of ministry he has to fulfill. And you know, I can imagine that Zacharias must have had a tough time completing that week of ministry. Not the least because he's dumb, can't speak. It's a bit hard as a priest to be able to do much of your priestly duty if you can't talk. You can't give the prayer of benediction. You can't offer up the prayers of the saints before the, the altar. You can't go through your ministry. So not the least, I'm sure it was difficult for him in completing his week of ministry. But not only that, because I guess he's now excited. I mean, he may not be initially excited when... Gabriel appears to him and he's scared of what's about to happen. And he certainly isn't excited when he's told that his wife's about to have a son because he doesn't believe it. But now that he's been struck dumb, Zacharias knows exactly what's happening. And here is a man who's excited about the fact that his wife is about to have a son as God promised. And he has to finish his week of ministry and he can't even tell his wife or anybody uh, what has happened. And I'm sure he could hardly wait to return home. Verse 23 says, And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. It says as soon as. He couldn't wait to get out of there. He wanted to get home. Because he wanted to tell his wife the good news. But that must have been hard. He couldn't speak. I mean, I don't exactly know what takes place here, but this is a bizarre situation, isn't it? He's running home all excited. He gets home all excited. And his wife's saying, what is it, Zacharias? And Zacharias can't speak. He can't tell her what it is. Because of his unbelief. But despite Zacharias' unbelief, God kept his promise. And Elizabeth conceived in her old age. It says, verse 24... And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Truly nothing is impossible with the God of the impossible. And then in Luke 24, at the end of the verse, in Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke 125, we're told that Elizabeth hid herself five months. Notice what it says. 
in verse 24 and 25, And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Tell Elizabeth hid herself for five months. But you know, she didn't go away to hide the pregnancy. She's not ashamed of the pregnancy. She hasn't gone to hide herself because she's pregnant. In fact, she's gone away for the first five months, which is the time when she would least be noticed of being pregnant. And she's back for the last four months when everyone would know she's pregnant. So she's not gone away to hide the pregnancy from everybody. I mean, this is something they prayed for. This is something they've hoped for. This is something they've given up hope on. But now she's pregnant. This is something they're excited about. And yet she goes and hides herself for five months. Why? Well, she went away to spend time with the Lord. This is a godly woman. She spends time with the Lord and prays the Lord for his mercy. Notice what it says. She went away and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. She went, and five months she spent with the Lord, praising him and thanking him for his mercy and his grace. You know, in all this story, we don't hear much about Elizabeth, do we? Up to this point. But this tells you an awful lot about the character of this woman. Zacharias isn't the only godly person in this marriage relationship. Elizabeth is godly. And when she finds out the news that she is pregnant, and God's blessed her, she just can't help herself but has to go and spend some time with the Lord, giving thanks for His grace and His mercy. These were exciting days indeed. And she rejoiced in God's answer to their prayers. God's purpose for intervening in the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth was now beginning to unfold. Even though Zacharias at first did not believe, but now God's purpose is being accomplished. And here's a lesson for us. When God calls us to follow him, when God calls us to serve him, even if at first he doesn't reveal all of his purpose and plan to us. No matter how much trouble we might have with that purpose and plan for our lives, that we don't understand what God is doing, our response to God leading in our lives, to God's unveiling, unfolding purpose in our lives, ought to always be simply, I believe, accept God's will without reservation. And God chose to end his 400 years of silence he chose the time, he chose the people, he chose the method, and lastly, he chose the purpose. And his purpose was to invade humanity with the greatest love story ever known. Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist all had a part to play in the unfolding of God's purpose, the unfolding of God's plan of redemption. And let's never forget that when God chooses to intervene, when he chooses to have a move in our lives that we might do his will, he always chooses the purpose. We're not here today just so we can fill our heads with more understanding. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. He wants to use us 
I know how much trouble, as I said earlier, it might bring to us that we might have with his will for our lives uh, responsibility is to believe in the Lord. We surrender to his will for our lives. Remembering as Ron Hamilton's song says, God never moves with that purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. God has saved each and every one of us for a purpose. And each and every one of us as believers must yield our will to his will if you and I are going to be a blessing and if you and I are going to be blessed. Let's never forget that when God chooses to intervene, he always chooses the purpose. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word this night. We thank you for Zacharias, Elizabeth, and ultimately John the Baptist. We thank you, Father God, that you had a purpose and a plan. That you were molding the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth and ultimately you were going to mold the life of John the Baptist and use them for your glory. Lord, help us as believers to realize that we've been chosen for a purpose. And while we might struggle with that purpose, we may not fully understand that purpose. We may, must always, Father, surrender to your will to simply believe that your purpose is best and yield to it that we might be a blessing and we might be blessed of you. Lord, commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.